This interview is made possible by my friends at Athens Screen Printing, HP Overhead Door Company, Speedy Tech Repair, and Tinsley Law and Title. Their sponsorship makes it possible for me to provide free content to the community. Please say thank you by visiting each of their Facebook pages. Hello friends, this is Michael from Hannigan Media and I am here with County Judge Wade McKinney. How you doing today, sir? Doing well, Michael. Thank it's you. It's been a minute since we've been together. It has. Yeah. It has. Uh, I was uh, off on a little vacation last week and had a little sickness and then one week uh, I sat down with Denise Hernandez to talk yes. about the elections, mm-hmm. um, so that was really cool. But I wanted to make sure to sit down and talk to you um, this week because I think we need to talk about COVID again. Um, I know that seems like it's the only thing we talk about when you and I get together anymore, <laughs> which is really unfortunate. Well, in a year or so, we'll be going, remember when that's what we talked about? There'll be something sometime in the future where we'll look back on COVID. From your lips to God's ears. Let's hope so. Uh, that's what I'm really hoping. But, okay, so um, obviously the issue seems to be that a large portion of our community, not just in Henderson County, but across the state of Texas, has decided that, hey, the coronavirus is over. <laughs> That's true. You see people out and about. Um, they're resuming life. Um, those that would be considered, in my opinion, those that are not in the high risk category. You know, you can see pretty much a return to normal activity just going outside. You'll see it. Okay. But with that, there has been a corresponding increase Mm -hmm. in the number of cases of COVID-19. There has, and some of that is due to the increased level of testing. I mean, uh, that is something that Texas has gained some notoriety for, is for how well it has increased the testing. Okay, now that's really important because Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that we stop just for a second and talk about this, because... It, it seems a long time ago, but it was only four to six weeks ago where you and I were sitting here and talking and saying part of the problem is we can't seem to get tests. Right. Now what we're saying is that's not a problem anymore. No, it isn't. Um, you have the testing capability at the labs because in the very beginning it was just the state labs and they right. could only process about 275 tests a day for the entire for the entire state and now they're they're reaching i believe it's up into the the target was thirty thousand a day and they don't hit that all the time but they're they're up above twenty thousand consistently and with being able to turn that out faster you're getting the more tests of course you have more positive returns it is that level in there of severity those individuals that are hospitalized being able, because in the beginning it was, we cannot allow this event to overwhelm our hospital system. The phrase that we heard at the beginning over and over, we don't hear it very often anymore, but it was flatten the curve. Flattening the curve. And given that it was uh, a new virus, 
uh, treatments. They did not know how to treatment. Well, in the last three months, there have been a variety of treatments that have shown promise. And it appears from my point of view and some of the others that the actual medical medical community is getting better at treating those individuals that are actually being hospitalized. And I have actually, I've heard that from some of the doctors that I've spoken to, but let's get back to Mm -hmm. the numbers. We've seen an increase. So we're going to say that part of that is an increase in testing. Right. Uh, Part of that has to be just a little more open um, open economy. Yes, agreed. The flattening the curve in the beginning, you had to stop the interaction. That was the the path that the nation took as a whole to stop the interaction so that it did not take off like a wildfire. Well, when you restart and start moving around, you're going to have that activity that is going to um, present the opportunity for spread. Um, it It is the very nature of a virus. So when you have those things, I believe now what we have that we didn't before is that even today you will see individuals keeping their distance. I haven't seen many uh, resuming shaking hands. Right. You know, there are some things that have changed. And quite honestly, there, with some of the confusion and con- uh, contradictory information coming from CDC, WHO, on wear a mask, don't wear a mask, sure. do this, do that. And I'm sure that some fatigue has actually weighed on the populace. And it's kind of, I don't know what to believe anymore. Right. But following the rules that we've talked so many times that our mothers taught us, wash your hands, stay out of someone's face, respect their distance. Those are proven tactics to help stop the spread. Wash your hands, stay in your bubble. Exactly. There you go. I I like that. Okay. But we have had an increase. We've had an increase here in Henderson County, and I know that there has been some uh, concern locally. But talking before the podcast, um, you let me know something that I, I hadn't known. When I looked at the statistics last week, it said... They told me that we had 15 new cases in Henderson County last week, but you're saying that's not entirely accurate. Right. That is that 15 numbers what hit the books became accredited to the county of that. um, I believe six of those cases were older cases that just caught up and got placed to Henderson County. And I'll give you one specific one from months back. Remember the cruise ship that was off the coast of um, California at the very beginning? Sure. Actually, we had a resident on that boat. They came home. We We were not notified until 30 days later. That number did not get from California to Henderson County until 30 days later. Oh, wow. So there is a delay when there's circumstance, other circumstances involved. And as testing has increased, it has complicated the reporting, and it has caused some delay of um, different cases. So what we're saying is last week when we say 15 new cases, it doesn't necessarily mean that we had all 15 cases that week. That's correct. All right, which makes it even more complicated to try to figure out what's Mm -hmm. going on in the county. The number that I look at 
is that active cases number. Yes, the other numbers have a great deal, but that active cases number has stayed right in that 20 range right. over time. And that's the one that I focus on as to being a huge indicator of something's happening. And that's a number that um, only over the last few weeks has really kind of gotten a little more solid because that was the number everybody wanted at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the uh, and Net Health and the, our public health officials were having some problems tracking that, but we've pulled in more help right. doing contact, contact tracing, tracing and things like that. So we're a little more solid. And yeah, we have over 80 cases, but only tw- in the 20, 20s. High 20s, we're right at 28 or 29. Are active. Are active. Which means more than 50 are, right. are recovered. Correct. All right, which is an important thing. Okay, so 20 active cases, you're saying that number has pretty much stayed the same. It has stayed in that 20s range, and that's the indicator for me when I look at it. If we start seeing a spike there, we've got something going on. All right, so as we started all of this, um, believe it or not, it was back a little bit before Easter. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which seems like so long ago now. Exactly. I'm having trouble remembering a time before COVID. Uh, but when we started way back then, one of the things that everybody was doing was having um, disaster declarations mm-hmm. and there were public orders and cities had disaster declarations and counties had disaster declarations and so where are we with that sort of thing right now? Because I saw I saw that Dallas County had their disaster declaration still in effect. I was just wondering where we're at. In Henderson County, um, several weeks ago, we allowed for our public health emergency declaration, is specifically what it is called. We allowed it to expire. And normally in your declarations, they are a requirement so that um, it opens up procurement and funding or reimbursement funding that is made available. Because in normal situations, your disasters or your declarations are normally localized. When we say that, you're talking about a tornado hit somewhere or there's been a flood that wiped out some stuff or something like that. Wildfires. Wildfire Mm -hmm. took care of something. And so the disaster declaration opens up the ability for you to go get money and supplies quickly. Correct. Correct. And in a public health, you have the same um, authorities. This one being pandemic and not only um, statewide, but um, nationally. World. So, so the, and worldwide. But there is a federal declaration and there is a state declaration that provides all of those um, assets, funding sources to us locally. The only thing that a um, declaration locally allows is for the uh, local government to sidestep procurement needs. And at this point in time, there were there are no procurement needs that wouldn't follow our normal process. So what you're saying there is, okay, so in the case of like a tornado, you need to bring in equipment. Equipment Correct. can be very expensive. You normally have rules in effect that say the county can't spend X amount of money without going through all of these correct pieces, of these steps 
um, as a protection for taxpayers and things right. like that. The declaration, disaster declaration, lets you sidestep those right. in the spe- specific incidents. Right. What you're saying is we don't have that need anymore right. for this problem. We we did have the need in the beginning, and and we did use those emergency well, that's procurement where you were getting processes. PPE stuff, Correct. and and you were providing <clears throat> at one point you were providing milk for local daycares. Daycares, yes, uh, hand sanitizers, all of those right. things that um, no one could get when you found them. You had to be able to act quickly sure or they would be gone right. and that was one, that was one of the the reasons for the declaration being able to and we're in a those point needs. now where mm-hmm. we're months into this and that's the other thing usually a disaster declaration is a very short-lived thing it's right. only for a few weeks a couple three weeks as you do the cleanup after a real disaster right. a, a natural disaster with this being such a long tail event that Uh, We're going to be dealing with this through the end of the year into the beginning of next year, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, It actually has different requirements. And what you're saying is there's no need for the disaster declaration anymore. If we need it. Locally. Locally. If we need it locally, we can reinstitute immediately. So I think one of the other questions that people have is they look at these numbers. And, you know, it makes me feel better to hear some of the things you're saying about local numbers. But you look statewide, and I know that like for four or five days in a row, the number of hospitalized cases has increased and hit a new high mm-hmm. every day. And those are the kinds of things that really scare people. It, uh, it is. And you have what the governor speaks to are the hot spots, you know, prisons, nursing homes, meatpacking plants. But what we're seeing in the, and specifically the urban areas is this, this run up, uh, uh, Harris County is having some issues and, um, in Austin, they're having some issues. Uh, you have the open, the open economy being the economy being opened back up and opening life back up. And you've also had uh, quite a few instances of gatherings over the last several weeks where social distancing is definitely not uh, being adhered. That may be leading into some of that. Uh, I personally believe it is when you have a great number of people together, not limiting that contact, you increase that spread. Sure. Well, and that would be with any disease, let alone COVID-19. So the question then becomes, is there a chance or or, or is there some thought that we might have to step back and put some of those restrictions back into place? It, It is a possibility, and you look to history to find that. When you look at the Spanish flu, that is what happened, especially up in the Northeast in those populated areas, was that you had the first wave of it. And kind of the um, early spring, late winter, early spring, it fell off through the summer months, and then it came back again as um, restrictions were relaxed. And I believe it was in, uh, if memory serves, it was like in October of, um, two, of 1918 that Philadelphia, um, all of those northeastern towns had to reinstitute it because you had the increase come back. Was it because of seasonal, you know, because we don't talk about the 120th wave of the flu. We talk about flu season. Right. You know, so, and it fits those periods of times when you just fall, winter, early spring and summer, all of those viruses um, fade away. 
So it's everybody needs to be waiting and be mindful of it because as the times goes by, it can increase. So one of the things that happened during all of this is for a short period of time, county offices were closed. Mm-hmm. You have reopened. Um, how's that going? It's going really well. Um, we have the controlled access to the buildings, and we have the temperature checks being taken. Um, when the state of Texas um, instituted, you know, when we have court hearings and things, there's COVID compliance plans where we're limiting individuals in the rooms, in the courtrooms. Um we have to provide for individuals that are being compelled to be to court and we have since they're being compelled we have to ensure that these surroundings uh, where we mitigate the possibility of covid transmission Uh, i see these um, checks continuing in place for some time yeah i i can say and it's interesting because it doesn't happen other places but every time I walk into a county building, someone is standing there to take my temp. That's right. I mean, it's an automatic. I take my hat off the minute I walk in and get <laughs> ready to get my temperature taken because I know it's coming. All right. So as we get ready to wrap this up, the one thing I know for sure about you is that you're a data guy. Yes. You like your data. So right now with COVID-19 going on and everything – uh, you've already told us that the one number you look at locally is that active cases number. Are there any other numbers that you're really tracking in, in statewide even um, when it comes to this issue? What is it that you're looking at? I'm looking at the hospitals. Um, you have, we have the capability of looking at hospital capacity by region. And, of course, uh, Henderson County, we call it RAC-G, but it is um, Trauma Service Area G, which includes what we consider to be East Texas, south of Texarkana, uh, above Nacogdoches, what we commonly call East Texas. And there's um, nearly a million residents in that location. And we're able to see at any time, like even today, there's 2,000 beds that are available to staffed beds in this region. There are 433 beds available in that region. There's 62 ICU beds available, 231 ventilators. And what uh, Texas Department of Health Human Services uh, gives us is the ability to take a snapshot of how many individuals in the region are actually hospitalized for COVID. So in our region, our trauma region, there's only 57 individuals in the hospital with out, COVID. Out of nearly a million. Out of nearly one million people. There are 57 people in the hospital for yes. COVID-19. Right. I, we watch that number because sure. that is still one of the concerns from the very beginning. We right. cannot overwhelm the hospital system. I think, and you and you talked about it a little earlier when you talked about one of the things has been that physicians have, it was a learning curve for them, mm-hmm. uh, especially at first trying to figure out, it's a brand new disease, what do we do? And we think that, you know, they've gotten a little better handle on, on what to do. But I think we've gotten a little more handle on it, too, as far as the idea that this is a really strange disease in that, yes, most of the people who get it are going to be little sick. Right. But if you're not one of those, 
you could be really, really in sick. trouble. And the added thing is we've read it presents so many different symptoms. Right. That is what is so unique about it. You know, usually if you have one, two, or three symptoms, they can pretty much tell what sure. you have. But there has been a multitude of symptoms with this that's hard to get. Um, the collective saying this is what it's going to be, they just don't know yet. There's not enough data. All right. Well, thank you for uh, taking the time to take us through the data. Let us know mm -hmm. what's going on in the county as it comes to COVID as we get out of here, just because we talk about this every time we talk about COVID and say, you know, there's other things that are actually happening yes. in the county that are important. And one of them is we're about to have an election. Yes, we are. Um, and we've talked about some of those things. And I'll put in again, I'll put out again when early voting is and everything else like this. But this is your chance to remind people how important it is to cast a vote. Voting is. It is. You, you've heard it called being a responsibility. If you want to be a player in determining the future of your leadership and of your county, of your state and nation, you have to be involved. You have to be out there. And the importance of taking the time to go vote is a civic responsibility, and it needs to be exercised. I actually like that a lot. Most people call it a right, and I agree you have the right to vote. <laughs> but I like the idea of calling it a responsibility a whole lot more than a right. Because I can walk away from a right if I want to go watch TV. But a responsibility I mm -hmm. need to take care of. And one of the things that I love to quote, everybody has a right, but nobody wants the responsibility. Yeah. And I, that's why I say it's your civic responsibility. All right, and on that note, we're going to wrap this interview up. Thank you, Judge, for letting us come in and talk to you for a few minutes. Uh, friends, COVID-19 is still real. I understand why you're out and about. I'm out and about. But please, make sure to wash your hands. Make sure to social distance. Hey, if you're going into someplace like Walmart or Brookshire's or someplace like that, wear your mask. Be courteous. Be courteous. Think about the other person and not just yourself. Amen. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Thank you, Judge. Thanks, Mike. <laughs>